My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Bonnie Heilman and Peter Garden. As a rule, we don't give enough respect to all of those things that need to be done in order for us to be able to do the things that we really want to do. This is true when it comes to the broad category of reproductive work, that is, the million little, mostly unpaid, mostly unrecognized tasks of reproduction and caring in everyday life that fall disproportionately on women and that keep most families and communities, as well as, let's face it, capitalism as a whole and almost any social movement you can name functioning, but also to the more specific subset which you might describe as infrastructure. There are a number of reasons why we have a general lack of infrastructure to support movements and communities in struggle in North America. Though the issues involved aren't identical, I think questions of movement infrastructure really do get caught up in the broader devaluation and erasure of reproductive labor. As well, work on movement infrastructure, keeping a grassroots meeting space from closing down, say, or compiling a list of social justice-related events each week, can be kind of boring in comparison to the more directly fight-the-powerish elements of struggles for social change. There's also a history of such infrastructure being attacked and co-opted by those who oppose struggles for justice and liberation. But in addition to all of those things, our lack of movement infrastructure both results in and is a product of a lack of models for doing it well. Models that are embedded in community, autonomous from the limitations placed by state and foundation funding, and yet somehow able to sustain themselves through the downs as well as the ups of movement momentum. There are, thankfully, some interesting experiments in communities around the country that are trying to solve the movement infrastructure problem. Peter Garden is a longtime activist who got his start in the punk scene, in Food Not Bombs, and in the global justice movement. He has run a social justice-focused, community-engaged, independent bookstore in Saskatoon called Turning the Tide for over a decade. Last year, the store engaged in some community consultations as part of making decisions about its future. And what it heard back was that, yes, people wanted it to remain a bookstore, but also they wanted it to become something more. To enact that vision, a number of people, including both Garden and Bonnie Heilman, an activist who was energized by the Occupy movement, came together to form the Treaty 6 Justice Collective. This is a group whose role is to govern The Stand, a new community organizing center and hub for activist infrastructure that includes the bookstore but goes far beyond. It's a move from being a place to get information related to social change to a place to find information and space and resources and opportunities to build skills and much more. It's a move that brings together a small business and a non-profit, two existing organizational forms that movements quite rightfully tend to be wary of, but does so in a way that may point towards at least one way of addressing the urgent lack of infrastructure to support activism, organizing, movements, and communities in struggle in North America. Garden and Heilman speak with me about the bookstore, the collective, and their exciting new experiment in providing social movement infrastructure. We spoke by Skype from Saskatoon. 
I'm Bonnie Heilman, and I'm one of the board members of the Treaty 6 Justice Collective. My name is Peter Garden. I'm also a board member of the Treaty 6 Justice Collective, and I have run Turning the Tide bookstore for about 11 years now in Saskatoon. Turning the Tide is, I would say, alternative bookstore, lefty bookstore, focusing on social justice, environmental issues. And we've done lots of things like add video rentals to that and over the years kind of branched out and done a fair bit of organizing with community events, that kind of thing. The Treaty 6 Justice Collective was created as a result of community consultations that Turning the Tide hosted about a year ago. The consultations were to ask the community what they wanted to see in the future of the bookstore. And people said they wanted the bookstore to continue, but they wanted it to expand to provide not just information that can drive social justice work, but also space to allow people to actually do that work together in Saskatoon. So the nonprofit was formed as a way of governing the new community organizing center that's called The Stand. The bookstore, we've been quite involved with community organizing for a number of years. It's been kind of a hub for information, for organizing events, that kind of thing. We knew that our building was up for sale and that the future in that building was not that solid. And I was also looking at the sustainability in terms of my own energy and in terms of financial viability over the long term. The bookstore has been profitable. It's been able to pay the bills and that kind of thing over the years, but it's never made a ton of money. And so it seemed like a good time to bring some people together and say, hey, how can we continue this project forward but for me to maybe share some of the responsibility in taking it forward with other folks in the community who were supporters and engaged, but not super active with the running of the shop. I was looking for just ideas of how that might happen. Initially, it was like, are there any people in the community who are interested in like co-managing the shop with me? Are there any people who'd be interested in that kind of thing? And then the idea morphed into, well, why wouldn't we look at creating a larger organization that would look at linking the ideas that were in the books at the shop and the, the literature at the shop with action? And we had run a small community organizing center before that was called Seeds of Change, but it had never really had a formal board. It didn't have a ton of structure to it, and it fizzled out after about two or three years. So we thought, okay, well, we learned how not to do it, and so can we try this kind of thing again and share a center where there's different revenue streams which would alleviate some of the financial burden on the bookstore and create maybe some other opportunities for a place where there's more than just book sales happening. There's meetings happening, there's people coming to work, there's workshops being offered, skill sharing type stuff that would help both, I guess, support the shop financially in the sharing of rent and expenses, plus expand this mandate and include other people in the running of the space, which would help share some of that administrative burden. So that's what came out of the consultations that happened last June. We formed a board last July or August because there was a competition for a grant that the local credit union had. And so we thought we might put in an application for that. 
we registered as a nonprofit and really fleshed out our vision and mission and that kind of stuff. And we ended up not applying for the grant competition after all, because we didn't feel like we were quite there yet. But the idea had some momentum behind it. And we ended up starting to look for space and we got our eviction notice at our old location of Turning the Tide at the end of December. And we really kicked into high gear with putting this vision into practice at that point. When the eviction notice was given, there was a lot of media attention around it because it was on the same lot as a heritage building, but an undesignated heritage building. And so the word spread quickly. And I thought it was really telling that Peter got a, a lot of offerings from the community, from people who had space that the store could move into. And then once we chose a space and signed a lease, we initiated a crowdfunding campaign to help cover the costs of renovating it so that it could be used as a community organizing center. The community kicked in like 20 grand in weeks. That in and of itself, I feel like, the center is already pulling out that interest and that energy from the community and making it known, making it visible. And that was what Occupy did for me, too. A lot of times, so many people are concerned about the same things, frustrated by the same things, but not realizing how many others are and not knowing where to go with those frustrations. So I'm really excited about this place as like sort of a, a galvanizer of that energy that has always existed in our community. Tell me more about the crowdfunding campaign. We had help from a guy named Fred, who's one of the founders of the Unite Media Cooperative here. So a group of young professionals who all have backgrounds in some aspect of media design, web design, marketing, social media, that kind of stuff. And in exchange for use of the space here, because their co-op would like to use the space, they helped us coordinate that campaign. None of the rest of us, I think, had any experience with that. So we were really lucky to have his help. And it went better than I expected. Yeah, we did a 40-day campaign and we had reached our goal of, I think we wanted to get to 18,000 by the end of it. And we'd reached it by the midway point, I think even two weeks. And the crowdfunding was basically to help with the renovation expenses and to equip the new space with the kind of stuff that we need with furniture, with some computers, with a printer, with shelving, flooring, you know, putting in new lights, all that kind of thing. And so we put together a budget of what we thought we'd need and started to do fundraising around it. We also we want to have some equipment available to folks in the community that's maybe a little bit further down the road, like a sound system, video projector, those kinds of things that people need over and over again to put on events. And we also want to have a community organizing fund that people can access to finance events. I've been involved with so many different events where, you know, you need a couple hundred bucks to rent a sound system or print some posters, book a venue, that kind of thing. And it's always like starting from scratch every time. And so we thought it would be really great if we could have a community organizing fund that was linked with this project that people could just put in that one paragraph application and get seed funding for whatever their event happened to be. And the Occupy Saskatoon group kickstarted that fund by donating the remainder of the funds that we had raised when Occupy was happening down at the river. Yeah, there was an account with some leftover funds in it from a bunch of different events that went towards this fund initially, and then we did the Indiegogo campaign after that. 
What's the new space like? It's about 600 square feet. So it's a modest sized space that's divided into three sections. It's on a street that's just off of Broadway. Broadway is a really central commercial district and cultural district as well in Saskatoon. When you come in off of that side street off Broadway, you're in the first of the three sections of the building. And that's all bookstore up there. And then the middle section is a combination of bookstore and organizing space. There's a few work desks in that area, as well as bookshelves along the wall and some bookshelves in the center. And we've got a bright red barn door on the back third section, which is the main meeting space that can fit. um, How many people do we think? About 15 people in a meeting, I guess. So it's kind of a boardroom, and during the day it serves as desks for co-working. So the middle room is flexible. The bookshelves in the middle of the space are on wheels, so you can unlock them and roll them into the front. And so there's two usable meeting spaces, and there'll be kind of a hangout space in the middle of the room as well with some chairs that people can sit and read, or there'll be a coffee table there, and people can gather around that area. Our old space is really small, and we never really had space for people to sit and hang out, which is kind of key to browsing at a bookstore. The co-working desks will be ones that people can rent, but there's also the spaces where people can just come in and sit. Our model around co-working is that we're hoping to get monthly sustainers, that's what we're working on right now, who will make contributions to covering some of the basic expenses for the stand, which is the meeting co-working side of the project. And so people who are just in new grassroots initiatives groups can access the space. That money, that space funding will cover rental for some of those folks. And then people from organizations that might be more established, like the Council of Canadians, etc., would then kick in the monthly rental that would be the regular price for coming to co-work or renting meeting space for as often as they need it. We're trying to figure out a sliding scale rental so we can cover our expenses, but make the space accessible to whoever needs it and really provide support to any new organizations and initiatives that start up in the community so that they have a place to go and they have the infrastructure that can help them focus on their work rather than on trying to constantly find meeting spaces or, you know, a printer to use or those kinds of things. And then in the back of the building is a separate space called the Artist Block. There's a couple local artists that it's their studio and their gallery. And their space is available to book for larger events of up to probably 60, 70 people kind of thing. So we can do, you know, book launches or larger community meetings in that space. And we just rent that from them each time we need it. So that's about 900 square feet, and we've got access to that whenever they're not using it. What else can you tell me about the organizational model? I think it's a really good example of a social enterprise. My understanding of a social enterprise is that it's an initiative that seeks social benefit for the community that it's in, but also recognizes the need for financing the work that is achieving that, so also has revenue streams coming in. So I think that by turning the tide, which is a business, partnering up with a nonprofit organization, that's a really common example of a structure for a social enterprise We're still feeling our way through that. 
what exactly the relationship, the working relationship between the nonprofit and the store is. But I think that having both of those in the mix is allowing us to be creative and adapt. For example, the landlords of this building didn't want to rent to a new nonprofit. So being able to have an established business associated with the new nonprofit allowed us to lease space more easily than if we had just been this brand new nonprofit organization trying to get a lease somewhere. My experience over the years has been in running the bookstore and trying to maintain that project, which was really a passion of mine that I figured out over the years how to make financially viable, is that folks on the left who are doing organizing don't have a lot of those skills. And I think a lot of our projects suffer from poor sort of administration. And that I think if we want to build lasting infrastructure in our communities, that's starting to at least get familiar with the basics of how to run a business is important. Keeping the bills paid, keeping the lights on, those kinds of things, figuring out how to, you know, do things like pay staff if you needed somebody to come in and coordinate volunteers, those kinds of things. I think it's a fine balance, right? Because I think that that business mindset can then take over organizations mm -hmm. and put them towards making profits. And I think we're trying to find a balance, a way forward so that we're not dependent on grants. Not to say that we won't apply for grants, but we want to find a different model of community funding that will help this place stay open and provide space for groups that, you know, are on Harper's watch list. <laughs> People who are doing more radical work, people who are doing work opposing resource extraction, stuff that's maybe not very popular in terms of business interests and those kinds of things in the province. We want to provide space for people who are doing that kind of work, but figure out a funding model that's independent of the whole grant cycle. We're feeling that out right now, and I think we took on a small bite. This place isn't that big. The rent isn't that high, and we're hoping to be able to figure out a way to fund it in a sustainable way and do as much work out of this space as possible, see as many groups supported through it. And if it's successful, look at maybe purchasing a building down the road and expanding the mandate. But uh, yeah, this feels like a good medium step between that and where the bookstore was before. It feels like it's manageable and something that we can actually figure out. So that's always with the, with the bookstore, we've never taken like really big risks. And I think that that's been beneficial for us over the years. So, yeah. And I guess the other side is the bookstore side, at least as far as I understand it. In the last 15 years, a lot of small independent bookstores across North America have closed, or at least a lot that I've been familiar with. What does this kind of model offer to the possibility of keeping independent bookstores, particularly those with a social justice focus, as resources in our communities? I think we've figured out a decent model. It's not paying people a living wage yet, etc. Those are the things that I'd like to see it do. But I figured out a way with some of the other folks who are involved with the shop to keep it viable in terms of I guess we've done things like sold university textbooks. We've done a lot of conferences, those kinds of things kept our overhead pretty low in terms of our rent, that kind of thing. And I think that that's what's made the bookstore remain viable when other bookshops have closed. 
we've also just got a really strong base of community support. And that's come from being really community engaged and putting on a lot of events and supporting groups doing different things, not being too doctrinaire about our politics and being like, you know, if you don't identify as an anarchist group, we are not going to support you. It's been building broader connections with people who don't share exactly the same politics, but who are sympathetic. And those people have then supported the shop through purchasing books for their libraries, their organizations, etc. So it's just been kind of a balancing act to maintain the politics of the shop, but also to create a wide enough base of support in the community in a town as small as Saskatoon, which is right around 200,000 people that we've been able to survive. And I think that this next step with the stand, it's all about, for me, bringing in different people into the shop and exposing people, not beating people over the head with the ideas, but letting them engage on their own terms with them. And if they're not comfortable, they can just, you know, leave. But getting different people coming into the shop and creating more opportunities for people to be exposed to the ideas in the books. And I think the partnership with The Stand is a really good one because it'll create a lot more traffic coming through here because it's a multi-use space. And people who might be sympathetic to the shop who don't come and visit it as often have a different reason to come in now to come to a meeting or to come to an event, etc. We finally have the capacity to host events in the shop where we couldn't before. So those are, I guess, some of the ways that I see the bookstore remaining viable over the next few years and how we've managed to keep going over the last 10. And I think, you know, you said it's a balancing act. I think a lot of the stores that have gone out of business, I don't know if they have a niche the way that Turning the Tide does. At least in Saskatoon, some of the other local bookstores are just general books, right? So I think that the niche is probably part of what's kept it relevant. A lot of people said when we first started up, how the hell are you going to have a bookstore that just focuses on social justice, environmental issues, and political theory? How are you going to keep that open? But I think part of the strength has actually been defining ourselves as that, and so people know what we stand for. And... That's helped with people identifying and wanting to see it keep going and supporting it because it stands for something. Tell me about the name that you chose for the collective. We were looking just to register a name as a nonprofit. So we were really wanting to define who we were. So it's that we're a collective. We stand for justice, like Saskatoon Justice Collective, etc. And we're like, well, we're on Treaty 6 land. For all of us, that was an important acknowledgement to make. And so we ended up registering that name as the name of our nonprofit. In terms of relationship building, in terms of recognizing the colonial history of Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, I think it's really important to recognize what the treaties have meant, the spirit and intent of the treaties in terms of the treaty relationship between settlers and the Indigenous people who lived on this land. I think we not only wanted to acknowledge the land that we're on here, but also to use this space as a vehicle to building treaty relationship. And that is like, how do we live well together on the land? How do we repair the relationships that have been broken in the past by colonial governments and by settlers who have taken on a racist stance towards Indigenous communities? And part of the treaty relationship as well is care of the land. 
And so how do we care for and defend the land together as settlers and indigenous people together? So I think we really want to explore that through this center and build those relationships at the grassroots through a number of ways that I think we haven't even figured out yet. But those are conversations that we want to have and a direction that we want to go. What's coming up for the Centre in the next while? One of our big focuses is getting people in and using this space, finding a few anchor tenants who want to make this at least one of their home bases for the work that they do. There's been lots of people coming in, so lots of energy around here, but we have to make some decisions and put together some promotion for the co-working space and get that out there. But there's already people looking at for events. We had our first event here a couple weeks ago, a presentation on taxation. Yeah, there was Canadians for Tax Fairness. Then there was another group who was doing a lecture, visual, art, and musical performance piece around state surveillance and C-51. And there's a couple others on the horizon. We had a call recently from a group who wants to do some storytelling or some readings of the Truth and Reconciliation report that came out last month. There's other things. One of our local activists has asked if we could coordinate a workshop to teach people how to do their own crowdfunding campaigns. So stuff like that, skill sharing and information sharing. There's a book club coming up. I'd like to see film nights here There's a group of folks who I think will probably use the space as a grassroots mental health peer support group who are just getting started up and wanting to have meetings in some space. And I'm hoping that this will be a place where we can have things like that, discussion circles, things of that nature. I think we're still figuring out a lot of this. We will likely have another round of consultations to help us really solidify the way forward for the space so that we can get some really solid direction from folks in the community. For me, this place is about building infrastructure through the initiative of Turning the Tide Bookstore. I've found that it's, I think it's been a valuable place for people to come, like an actual physical space, a place where people can come and see their ideas and values reflected and a place where they can come and find out what's happening in the community and plug in to things that are happening. We shouldn't underestimate the value of that in terms of building social movements and just building capacity in general for the kind of work that we do. And so the stand is another attempt at providing that infrastructure for people who are doing organizing in the community and hoping to you know, amplify that work and to spur on new people to get involved. You have been listening to my interview with Peter Garden and Bonnie Heilman about the journey taken over the last year by Turning the Tide Bookstore in Saskatoon under the guidance of the Treaty 6 Justice Collective to initiate The Stand, a new community organizing centre and hub for activist infrastructure. To learn more, go to turning.ca or search for The Stand Community Organizing Centre on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.